But today we're getting right into my wheelhouse because we're going to talk about a playbook, having a playbook. Uh, those of, the, of you that have known me have understood I've been a sports nut a good part of my life. Uh, probably the greatest joy I have is, is coaching sports and, uh, and just observing teams and, 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 and love uh, tracking great football coaches. I can name probably the five top uh, college coaches in America, Lou Saban, uh, uh, or excuse me, Nick Saban, not Lou Saban, Nick Saban, uh, he, and, and uh, then uh, uh, Ohio State, uh, Urban Meyer, Dabble Sweeney, Jimbo Fisher, and hopefully our new coach here at University of Oregon. But uh, I, I enjoy watching coaches do what they do. We have been working in this whiteboard conversations to to say, coming out of Easter, if your sins are forgiven and you have a new start, why not do something meaningful with the new freedom that you have in Jesus Christ? Okay, let me tell you what forgiveness does. Forgiveness clears the deck. Forgiveness does not build you a future. Grace will do that if you cooperate with grace. Say, say this, I'm glad for my sins to be forgiven. But I want the Lord, by His grace, to help me build a tower, win some ball games, get something out of this. I love mercy. I love seeing people come to the cross and get their sins forgiven. But as a coach, to me, I don't go on a sports field for a tie. I go out there to seek and destroy that which is found, the, uh, the opponent. If it's football, you know, I think a three, three touchdown cushion is great. It comes to family. I don't have any of my kids that I'm willing to donate to the devil. He can have zero. In fact, I'm going to plunder hell and populate heaven if I can do it. Okay, this is called doing something with the whiteboard, the clean slate God has given you. And so today we're talking about the, play, the playbook. How many of you know that the team that, that comes out with a playbook that they can execute is going to be a lot better than the team that everybody's like high-fived and danced around the locker room, but they don't have a clue what they're going to do? So um, there are so many c components that make up a championship football team. There's the coaching, the players, the management, the resources, and of course, the plays. Uh, Kim and I were looking at... Uh, a blog that listed 50 common football plays. Well, I'm going to give you a couple of, of untraditional football plays. Fumble Ruski, the quarterback, he gets the, the ball, and he looks like he's going to run, and he slips it down right behind him and leaves it on the turf and runs like he's running. And, of course, the linebackers, they chase over to tackle him. Meanwhile, a guard picks up the ball, goes the opposite direction, and tries to get some yardage. That's the Fumble Ruski. Then uh, one that Dennis Dixon from Oregon did was called the fake Statue of Liberty. He, he dropped back and Dennis held his arm back. And so in a, in a Statue of Liberty play, some, the running back or the tailback will sweep around and he'll grab that out of his hand and, and, and do an end around. And so that's a pretty good, a tricky play. Well, what Oregon did is they said, let's do a double trick. So we'll have the, the, the tailback come by instead of taking the ball he's going to fake taking the ball and Dennis is going to stand there looking like he lost the ball and he still got the ball and then the quarterback ran and scored a touchdown. So that was the fake Statue of Liberty. And then, of course, there's the famous 
a Stanford quarterback who's uh, uh, Andrew Luck, who plays for Indianapolis uh, Colts. And Andrew is the king of the flea flicker. And so he'll hand off, and, and the running back will move a little bit, flick it back to him, and then boom, it's down the field, accurate, and you're down seven points or six points to Andrew. And so there's just tons and tons of plays that a good management team in a football, uh, you know, the coaching team, management to bring in the right players, that can, the personnel that can execute the type of play that you do. Well, we are leading some of the greatest teams ever. They're called our family. Now, please understand here, if you come to joy, we're always going to be in your grill to tell you you've got a great team. You say, well, I'm all alone. You've got a great team. I want to tell you something. I love being married to Kim. I love having my family. But I will tell you still, there's going to be four of us rocking and rolling if I'm all alone, me and the Trinity. <laughs> How many of you are born again? So the Trinity is in your you're part of that team. So there's at least four of you. Now toss in the, the, the innumerable company of angels. Now you've got a bigger team. How about the believers around the world that pray for people that they don't even know? The team is bigger. And yet, if you don't think you've got anything to work with, you're not going to fill out that whiteboard with good plays. You're going to just kind of play the victim. Well, you know... I'm doing okay compared to what I'm facing. Well, what you're facing is the same thing every one of us is. That there's an enemy out there that wants to, to beat your team. Right. And they're confident they can do it. And you have to be more confident and say, I'm going to enter the field. And this is what I love about Nick Saban. Nick Saban enters the field knowing he's going to win. He just needs to know how he'll do it. And I love when he and Urban Meyer from Ohio State face off. Because they both, they think like Raptors. They go in there to win the game. So many other people are just proud to play in the championship. Nick's not proud until he's got the trophy over his head and going home. And he's compensated about $9 million a year to do that. Okay? I want to be a Nick Saban coach. I want to be able to say, no, I didn't just kind of flounce around in my walk with God, flounce around in my marriage, and flounce around with raising my kids or raising up disciples. I want to be the kind of guy that I go into every meeting. I know what the objective is. We're here to win the game. How do we win the, the game today? Today, the, the win for Kim and I is to get you confident to get your whiteboard out and begin to get some plays for you and your family. If, if we all leave here and go, oh, well, it was good worship and it didn't go too long and you leave here and straightway forget it, we didn't get a win. We might have got a draw, but we didn't get a win. But so we need to understand that football teams have, um, have great plays. They're not, great football teams are not known by, just by their great players, but their great plays. Great families are the same. Every family should have that best play that ends a football game called the victory formation. I think the victory formation, to me, in football, is one of the most beautiful acknowledgments when, it, when, it, when a, a team has beaten another team rather than just try to force down one last touchdown. To me, they can be sitting on the other team's five-yard line but have their quarterback take two or three kneel downs. And what they say is, I respect you, but we still win. 
Well, how many of you know that it's great when you can have a kneel down, your family, and you can say, it's well with my soul, it's well with my wife's soul, it's, me- it's well with our kids' soul, it's well with our grandees, it's well with our disciples, it's well with our outreach churches, it's well with our missionaries. I want to end this life full steam ahead. And then when it's time to say goodbye, I want to have a knee with tears in my eyes and I want to say, let me kneel down in a victory formation because, because God gave us a whiteboard to fill out and we've got plays and we executed the plays. And yes, there were times we lost certain ball games, but that's not the season. And there are times that we botched plays, but that's not the whole game. And there are times when you get people injured, but that doesn't mean we can't do a workaround. We lose our star quarterback. We're going to tell the next guy, you're it, man. You can do it. We're going to change the playbook to make sure that every, every bit of the personnel have an opportunity to win this. Yeah, that's right. That's good. And that's the kind of spirit that I think God wants to give us today. Tus familias están... Benditas, would that be correct? Help me. Where's my? Where's Where's Ben? Translate. Your families are blessed. Benditos. Banditos. No, they're not thieves. Okay. Benticitos. Okay. You are blessed. Every family here, you're blessed. Some of you will come and argue with me. You'll find. Try to find some reason to say your family's cursed. And, I, and I, we'll never agree on that. That's right. God doesn't make junk. That's right. And sometimes it seems like, wow, the game seems to be really, we're running out of time and we're way behind. It doesn't matter. He's the comeback king. Right. Okay, next thing. Um, Proverbs 24, verses 3. It says this. By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding... It is established through knowledge. Its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Now, a lot of times we don't understand when we read about the house. See, when we talk about house, we're talking about, is it brick? Is it, does it have T-111 siding on it? Is it made of stone? Is it a modular home? We don't use the word house like the Bible typically uses the house. House speaks of household or family. Now, let's reread this, and let's make the slight change. By wisdom, a family is built. By wisdom, the Schmelzer's house is built. By wisdom, the A-cup house is built. By wisdom. So what, what, what happens if you pull out wisdom? It's the uncola. It's the unwisdom or foolishness. By foolishness, a house is destroyed. And through understanding, it, the house, is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Wow. That's, that's God's hope chest for your family. That's right. That's right. He's saying, hey, if you'll just tarry around the gate of wisdom, read Proverbs 8, the reward of hanging out with wisdom. I'll, 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 I'll prosper you. I'll build you up. By me, king's rule. But see, if you have a low self-esteem, oh, we're just nobody. God turns nobodies into somebodies when they have faith. That's right. And you've got to believe the scripture for, for, is for you. 
Uh, I'm going to handle a couple of the Schmelzer team plays. Now, we could have used other families. I could have said Iverson team plays because Pastor Dick was such a father to me. I know a lot of his plays that he played with his family. But because I'm here with you and Kim and I are here with you and many of you have known us for a long, long time, then you can kind of validate, yeah, that is how you play the game. And so uh, we're not trying to be uh, self-centered by saying our plays, but uh, we are here for a reason. God assigned us here, and you guys haven't fired us yet, so let's work, okay? Number one play, all in. All in. I was affected in fifth grade at, up in Ashland in Briscoe Elementary School when Joe Sargenti, our coach, uh, fresh from Brooklyn, New York, with a good Brooklyn accent, he said, boys, I want you to... I want you to pursue 100% of the time. 100% pursuit, 100% of the time. And that Brooklyn accent got right into my head and it touched my spirit because God was molding me as a young kid how to be a leader that could be effective. And that means we get up, we hit it, we hit it, we hit it. What'd you come to do? What'd you come to do in this city? Did you come to get married and to, to build a great family? Or did, you, did you come to get married, get frustrated, and be blown apart in three years? See, so, so one of our plays is run hard, play hard. And so we wanted our kids to be excellent workers. If you take a, take a, a project, finish the project. If you join a sports team, finish the season. Maybe you don't like it. Okay, you, you start on an instrument, play at least enough to where you really know you don't like it, and then we'll switch you to, but we wanted the frustration to grow to where they're begging for a new instrument, and then we're saying, you're not going to do this again, are you? So get the one that God's calling you to do and play that, yeah. and play it well, okay? So that was part of our, our uh, DNA. That's something that we believe God put as a conviction, and that's why I don't want to slouch into retirement. Okay, I want to continue to run hard. When we hand the baton to someone else, we're going to be here still counseling, still loving, still working hard because I, because I will tell you when my official retirement is. When you come and celebrate my death, that's when I retire. While I breathe, I'm to give my life and energy to the kingdom of God. And, and guess what? We keep having grandchildren which means I got another 18 to 20 year assignment per new one. And Natalie's showing up with one here in July. Okay. Laugh often. Take great vacations. Date your spouse. Okay. Celebrate with fun family traditions. I'd like to tell you about our date. I'll just do it real brief. We went to Shady Cove. We went to Miguel's along uh, the Rogue River. We had a romantic d uh, dinner, it, a lunch. And the food was great. And we drove up to Lost Creek. There's, there's water in Lost Creek for everybody that goes camping. But you need to date your wife. You know, I've been married to Kim for 36 years, but I still want to win her. What do you mean win her? You're married, aren't you? You know what? You can lose the heart of your spouse. This isn't Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater put her in a pumpkin shell, and there he kept her very well. She's a girl. She needs romance. She needs someone that cares. She needs someone that'll make daddy tea. And we're, we're both so excited about me getting off this boot. Okay. Keep dating. Number two is reset. 
How do you, how do you keep your, your marriage alive? You, you won't do it if you start having uh, niches in your heart of unforgiveness. If you say you forgive someone, then you need to enforce it in your heart and enforce it in your actions. Okay? Reset. That's a key to raising your kids. You know, when, when they'd be naughty, we'd say, okay, maybe, maybe we would pop them a couple of times on the romp or there'd be a stern rebuke. When they got it, we'd say, okay, let's play now. They learned. Mom and dad's apprehension and correction, as it says about God, that, that, that his, his wrath is brief, but his favor lasts a lifetime. How many have ever been spanked by God? When, when you took your spanking, he didn't keep hounding you every time. Well, you know, I forgave you. No, he just forgives. And we need that. Okay, let me just uh, read a couple of quotes here. It says, in this home, we do second chances. We do real. We do mistakes. We do I'm sorry's. We do loud really well. We do hugs. But best of all, we do together. Next quote. Stuff happens. Sometimes you're winning and sometimes you take a hard hit or even a loss. Don't get hung up or keep score of all the losses. Set the reset button through forgiveness. A healthy emotional bank account. Clear communication and fresh starts. Tag, you're it. Awesome. You know, it's so funny when we were sitting and we talked to just kind of picking what are the plays. I think if you look at your family, and that's going to be your homework assignment, is hopefully you will go home and re-look at the plays that make your family who it is. Maybe some you're going to go, ah, I need to add some. Maybe you're going to go, that's a play I want to take away. But you're going to be a victorious family, a victorious team when you have those plays. And one of the things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago was in the area of convictions versus preferences. And Pastor Steve and I were talking about this because this really is one of the foundational things in our, um, in our family that makes our family what it is. And, and believe it or not, if you're part of Joy Church Medford, you're just an extended part of our family because that's what happens. I was listening to a, or actually reading a book about a church planter, and he said someone had told him, within three, three years, I believe it is, your church will look like you. So, ha, ah, voila, guess what? Um, but, you know, these are things that mean so much to us, and it was the convictions that mattered. And a few weeks ago, we read from Joshua, uh, I'm not going to read it again, but Joshua 24, 14, and 15, where Joshua told the people, you've got all these options. You've got the ability to serve the gods of your ancestors. And, you know, every one of us in this room have things that pass down to us from our families. There were some plays that might have got passed into your family that you don't want to, you don't want to extend into your own today. And the way you change that is when you do what Joshua encouraged the people of Israel today, you make a choice. And you say, uh, I'm, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And Pastor Steve, I want to read a couple of quotes. I was kind of... Um, interviewing him as we were getting ready for this. And he said a couple of things that I thought were so important that I wrote them down word for word in this area. And it says, the more preferences you have, the less power. Because preferences are just opinions. You know, sometimes, and, and many, a couple of things we're going to talk about in just a second, they're not heaven, hell issues. Some of the playbooks, some of the plays that you're going to have in the playbook of your home, 
They're, they're, not, they're not things that if you don't do them, you're going to go to hell. They're just the difference between being that winning team and just sort of barely making it. And those were decisions we made because like Pastor Steve said, we wanted to have that win for our families. We wanted all of our kids to serve God. We wanted to build a, a family that would, that would be able to be stormproof. And that meant that we had to ha go from just having preferences to convictions. And one of the things he said that really hit me, and I don't know that he'd ever stated it before, was a family that is raised with convictions has a basis for convictions to either be altered or renewed for each successive generation. You know, when you have convictions, you're passing on to your family. You know, we would tell our kids, if there's some things that we did as a family that you decide there's something better than I can do, man, run hard. But see, if you don't train your kids to have convictions, they don't have the ability to even make that decision. Man, family did this, I think we can go a little farther. It's so important that you have rock-solid convictions. And, that, and I really believe that's part of what Proverbs means when it says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they have grown old, they won't depart. That they're going to have some convictions. They're going to have that ability to make those kind of rock-solid decisions and come up with their own playbook. It's really fun watching three of our four kids are married and watching them develop plays. Some of them are the same we did in our family. Some are different. But I can tell you what, watching every one of our kids, they have a playbook. They know how to use the yellow pad. They have convictions. And some of the ones that we had, I, I don't know if they did a slide of this, but some of the things we made as a decision in our family, holy living, God's word, the final authority. These were things that were convictions. They weren't things we negotiated. We might be able to negotiate on whether you want lucky charms or, uh, you know, shredded wheat. But these were things that we weren't going to negotiate on. Holy living, God's word is the final authority, courting, making sure that when our kids, you know, from the age of really little, Johnny at four years old was able to tell a family member, uh, they said, are you going to, you know, who, who are you going to marry? Are you going to date? No, I'm going to wait until God brings the right person in my life because I have a destiny. That was a conviction, honest communication, biblical roles and relationships. He's the head of our home. That matters. Serving God should be fun. That was a conviction. That wasn't an option. It was going to be fun, our home, serving God joyfully. Homeschooling, I can tell you more about that, but that's a conviction for us because of the decisions we were going through. No drugs or alcohol. We knew that that, that was something that uh, God allows moderation, but we said, you know, for where we're going and the kind of choices that we're going to make, we're just going to make this decision as a family. And we did that by kind of living just beyond devotions and trying to be devout. One of the next things that really I could have put under this conviction was that God's house was not an option for us. Being in God's house, serving, um, relating to one another, uh, getting along, sometimes having times where things didn't go so well and we had to learn how to, how to work it out. But God's house was a refuge and an anchor, and I'm thankful. My mom and dad raised me with that, and that was a conviction in our home that got into my spirit, and it got into our kids, and so that was having a great community. And let me just tell you, it's not enough to just drop your kids off for Sunday school. They got to watch you live it out. That was a play on our playbook. And then last, before Pastor Steve lands this ship, your home should be the happiest place on earth. You know, I've been telling them, I've been, I want to go to Disneyland. I've been watching all these people go to Disneyland, and I, I, I really am missing Disneyland. But let me just tell you this, your home should be that place of joy. And there's a scripture that just, I, I've read it before, but it just leapt out at me as we were getting ready for this message, and it's from 1 Samuel 25, verse 6, and it says this, 
This was actually David speaking to the house of Nabal. He said, thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you, peace to your home, and peace to all that you have. When you have the plays in your playbook that God has called you to have, and you begin to write those out, and you begin to live those, and you're going to make mistakes like Pastor Steve talked about. Great teams have losses. Great teams fumble the balls. Great teams have times where maybe they lose a key player. But let me tell you what great teams have in common. They have that victory heart that says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to get there from here, come hell or high water. And that spirit absolutely transform you, transforms you. Pastor Steve. All right. Well said. So we're working on our whiteboard, aren't we? And uh, what's exciting about it is it doesn't matter what age you are. Uh, I had the privilege of kind of uh, being real close to Pastor Dick Iverson when he lost his wife, Edie. And at 77 years old, he was chatting with me about how he was going to put together his strategy for the last 10 years of his life. He felt God would give him 10 more years, and so he remarried, and he and Roxy, his wife, they, they filled it with good things. Um, how many of you know that, that if you're 70s or 80s, please get your whiteboard filled out? Yeah, yeah. Keep and uh, my spiritual mom was Edie Iverson, and the last week or two of her life, she was filling out her, her, uh, her scheduling, her calendar. How many of you know, let's, let's just live till we die. Let's not die at 40 or at 23. And how many of you know the spirit of discouragement wants to take people and just say, hey, just kind of check out a life now and just wait till you die. That's kind of boring. We want to live it. What is in your personal or family playbook? We've been talking about that. And uh, the neat thing about family is that you get a lot more positive than negative. You know, and, and if you're from a Christian family, if you're from maybe the Manson family or something, it might be different, you know. Um, but you, you have to then determine what, what uh, contracts are you going to re-up on, what are you going to drop. And so in looking at yours, don't just assume that well, mom and them used to say this. Well, you know, you ain't your mom and you ain't him, mom and them. Uh, so you have to say, what, what are we actually going to live? Right. You can't claim what, what your folks did or two generations ago used to do. You've got to say, this is my conviction. This is how I'm going to walk. This is how our family's going to walk. Secondly, um, the time to do this is, is when you're single. Don't wait till you're married. Well, we'll get to married and figure out what we'll do. Really? It's going to be a mess. It's going to be a Frankenstein. Because it's better when you actually are on your path and you marry someone who's on the same path and not try to, try to convince somebody that they need to stop what they're doing to do what you're going to do. Uh, what makes you distinctive? And then lastly, is your home the happiest place on earth? Okay. It, it should be a mini uh, Disneyland. It should be fun should be a place where uh, when people get off work, they come home and it's fun. Good food, fellowship, love, uh, peace in the home. That's, that happens when you're all on the same page, living life together. Then I want to bring up the fact that uh, Moses, 
was able to understand that the difference between he and Israel and all the other nations was the presence of God and God really helping them to get it together and not only helping them, but, but being the power source for this to happen. Okay, I can't live the Christian life, but the Holy Spirit can. So when, when I reach out to the Holy Spirit for help, then, then that power lives through us. Listen to what Moses said in Exodus chapter 33, verse 16 uh, from the NLT. It says, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. Understand the Abrahamic blessing was given to Abraham and all those that are born through Jesus receive the same promise. Abraham, I want to bless you and your family and your family will be a source of blessing for all the families of the earth. Now that's a good thing to put on your whiteboard. We are called to be a blessing to all other families in the earth. So that's why we clean the trash out of the yard. That's why we don't throw rocks at the neighbor's window. That's why we turn the loud music off at 10. You see, God didn't call us to be Christian, hard-nosed pariahs in, in society that, well, we're the judgmental people, we're the ugly people, we're the mean people. We should be the gracious people because we're going to bless the other na the people yeah. and, and, and have that dignity and, and that uh, nobility to do good to even those that don't, don't reply. You, don't, you have to stay within yourself. Others can do some bad stuff. You don't have to do it. Your family doesn't have to do it. That's right. Okay. Uh, we want to pray a blessing on each of us as, as families and as individuals. And uh, the, the prayer of blessing that I love the most in the Bible is the Aaronic benediction. And so it says in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 and following, it says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. That word keep here means guard, protect. But I like the word keep. 1981 in Oakland, California, we, we, we made vows so that we could keep each other. And it was beautiful, and it's still beautiful. Hello? This is what God's trying to say. Hey, I want to keep you. <laughs> How of you know that most of our problems with God are not on his side? <laughs> we decide to bail. We decide to make up our own plays. We decide that we, we I've got it from here, Lord. But he's saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. If someone's face shining upon you. Have you ever had that? Someone comes up to you and they go, remember me? And you know, you're going, remind me. And then all of a sudden, you do recognize me. Oh, and so you, you shine back. How do you like the fact that God's face, he wants to shine on you? Hi, Donnie. How are you doing today? This is Father God talking to you. You know? How many of you love that when you go into your prayer and devotion and you feel the, the, the grace of the Father? His face shining upon you and being gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace is the, is the Hebrew word shalom which is more than just lack of war. It means health, 
It means a prosperous journey. It means uh, well-being to your family and all that pertains to you. How many of you don't mind if God would just bless every part of your life? Is that okay? Your family, your money, your health, your outlook, your emotions. Man, I, I like the Lord shining on my face and keeping me and blessing me. If we could stand together, it would be really great. We've packed a lot into these last, uh, I believe it was five, this is session number five of Whiteboard Conversations. If you would ever want to review some of this material, uh, we have a, a YouTube channel called uh, JCF Live, and all of our Sunday mornings are archived there, so it's video. And uh, it wouldn't be a bad thing because your life is so important. And after Easter, we had a great time and many people came to the Lord and they got their sins forgiven. The Lord wants to do more than just take away your sins. That's like being born as a human. Okay, you're born as a human. Now what are we going to do with you? Well, when you're born with a human, we want our children to prosper and do well. And that's the same way with spiritual prosperity. God wants you to prosper and do well. And so it wouldn't hurt you to maybe review and, and go back and, and the teachings are about 35 minutes and go, wow, get it, get it, get it. Yeah. I don't want to live purposely. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'll take a moment. I was talking to a relative who's not saved and he lives in another state and he just told me, he said, yeah, my wife and I, we, we, we split up. We were divorced. Hadn't talked to him in a number of years. He said, yeah, we just had grown apart. And my heart sank. I thought, oh, I didn't follow up to make sure that this cousin received Jesus. In the world, if you don't have Jesus, there's no reason for anything hardly. It's like, stay married, stay not married. Love your kids, don't love your kids. It's all just you live this life, you die, and it's over. So why not live for self? Many people are opting for that. But through Jesus, there's a reason to stay married. Because you're co-heirs of the grace of life. And you want to be an example and you want to serve one another. Well, God wants to serve you initially by saving your soul from sin. People come in, they have a sense of impending doom. That's not a craziness. There is impending doom. Evil men are waxing worse and worse, as the Bible said they would. But arise, shine, your light has come. For the righteous, it's getting brighter. But if you have not made peace with God, today's a good day to say, I want to join God. And that's what it is. God has done everything to join you. And now it's your turn to say, hey, I need God. In just a moment, I'm going to have everybody close their eyes, bow their head. And I'd like you to come to Jesus if you haven't. Are you afraid to come to Jesus and because it might be a fraud and a phony thing like you've seen so many times. I'll tell you what, I can't sell vacuum cleaners, but I can sell Jesus. I've never seen Jesus not forgive people's sin. 
I've never seen in my life where someone called on God and they didn't receive the gift of the Holy Spirit within them and change their world. But you have to have the humility to know you aren't going to clean yourself up. You're not going to soak in a bath in order to qualify for a shower. You've got to come to Jesus and say, I need, I need you, Lord. And I, I, I want to join you because you've already joined me. You sent the Son. You paid for my sins. And I need to be changed. Now, secondly, if you don't feel like you have the power to live the Christian life, neither do I. The power that I've lived has been the power he gave me. The Holy Spirit will give you power to live the good life. It's not like you go, dude, I got to drop my dope. I got to drop this. I got to drop that. Trust me. He will take away your desires. Just the same reason you don't use a Tonka truck anymore. You have a real one. Yeah. Is and So the desires are taken as the Lord changes you. Let's all bow our head and close our eyes. I'd like every one of you to say, I really would like, I'd like to join God today. Raise your hand. If you're here and you say, I really, I really want to join God. I, yeah. Yeah, I just want to give my life to Jesus. Be changed on the inside. Hallelujah. If you're here and you've raised your hand, come on down. We want to just pray with you if you, if you uh, would consider doing that. It'd be great to have you come down so we can pray with you. We're all going to pray together. Hallelujah. If you're here and you'd like to, you know, to see Jesus with a lot of people believing with you, come on down. Okay. Now for the rest of us, how many of you can say, I, I could use some improvement on my playbook? How many of you can, you can open your eyes? Okay. Steve and Kim keep reviewing their playbook. Even up in Shady Cove along the river, we, we're always adjusting our playbook. Reconfirming those values that make us unique. You got to talk among the team. What's your team going to look like? What kind of people are we going to be? I don't know about you, but man, this message makes me want to say, Lord, help me. Does it make you feel that way or do you feel like you got it kind of all worked out? How many of you say, no, I still need for the Lord to adjust my playbook? Okay, let's pray and we'll call this a, a wrap. God bless you. Lord, I pray for everybody right now. That ironic benediction, Lord, I thank you that you, Lord, are blessing and keeping each one. I thank you, Lord, that you're making your face shine upon each family, upon each individual here. And you're being gracious. Gra gracious, a beautiful word. Means you just keep giving way beyond anything we deserve. We love going to people's homes that are gracious. They're bringing you sweet tea and fried chicken and they're good stuff. And no matter how much you eat, they're, they're, they're sure you're still starved and they want to bring more. Lord, we love you that that's the way you are. You just keep filling us with good things. And that's what you're doing in the lives of these, these individuals and families. And Lord, I pray you'd lift up your countenance upon each one. And best of all, give them peace. Give them an assurance that you're with them. You're with their family. Even if there's been some chaos, it doesn't have to remain that way. Come, Holy Spirit, work in the families. Work in the hearts of individuals. 
Yesterday does not determine tomorrow. But one good decision to call on your name can reverse a lifetime of bad decisions. And so, Lord, we're here to pray. Help us, God, to get on board with that whiteboard. Thank you for the clean slate. Lord, write on my heart, make of me, make of my family a symphony of righteousness. Bless your people. I pray for them and bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.